0: It's been a great study looking at the home and ways that we can take this house of cards and build a foundation that will last a lifetime. And so as we walk through this series, we're covering a lot of components about the home that we live in and the home that we're building. All of us are impacted on some level by these messages from God's Word. Today is another one of those and critical components of the home. All of us have parents... All of us are children of parents and some of us have children. And so the role of parenting has impacted all of our lives. And there are some essentials about relationships. And as we look at relationships, the core ingredient when it comes to parenting, this foundation, this house must be built upon love. And so these core essentials that we have when it comes to parenting don't stop when your children leave the house. Some of you are grandparents, some of you have adult children um, who haven't had kids yet. Some of you have grandchildren, some of you have great-grandchildren. So your role of a a mother and a father a parent continues, but it changes. And so throughout this message today, I'm going to address all those roles. Recently, uh, in our world, um, there was a singer um, who I'm more familiar with, grew up with, and some of you, uh, a singer by the name of Glenn Campbell, About 25% of you don't have a clue who he was. Um, But during my days, he was a a singer-songwriter that wrote uh, some amazing songs. And about three years ago in his journey um, of, of aging, he was diagnosed with the early stages of Alzheimer's. And so as a result of that, he wanted to leave his family as a parent and as a husband a gift, a song that he wrote to them that would be played later on in his life when when he wasn't able to communicate mentally like he wanted to. So he wrote this song to his family and to his wife called I'm Not Going to Miss You. As a, a gift to them for them not to carry the burden because he wasn't able to function in the way that they wanted him to. And as a result of this um, disease, he was just recently within the last year was put into a home where he has mentally lost all the abilities to function and interact with his children. And so roughly about three years ago, he wrote this song to his wife that was there and wanted her to know that he's okay. A gift of a father and a husband, a gift of love, carrying this onto them and saying, I'm not going to miss you. Watch this. Still here, but yet I'm gone. I don't play guitar or sing my songs, and never defined who I am. The man that loved you till the end. Person I will love, you're the last place I will recall, and best of all, I'm not going to miss you. to his family three years ago, not wanting them to bear the burden of seeing him not being able to communicate like he wants to. It's a picture of, of love to the nth degree. It's a picture of a father and a husband who is building a house that lasts a lifetime. Today, we have an opportunity as parents, as husbands and wives to build a house that lasts a lifetime. And as a parent, we have a gift that we can give our kids that sets them up for whatever they face. And so today, I'm going to walk us through some components that truly will impact all of us in this room and everybody in the link these essentials that build a house that lasts a lifetime, all of them are surrounded in love. Grab your Bibles, and we're going to go on a journey today. And turn to Psalm chapter 78. Psalm chapter 78. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Psalm chapter 78. And we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And what we're going to see regarding these essentials of love for parenting is this. First, keep the wonder of God hot in the home. Don't ever lose that component. As a parent, whether you have children in your home now or your children have already grown up, always keep the wonder of God hot. Stand with me and we'll read Psalm 78, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 4. Let's read it out loud together. Ready, read. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. Let's read verse 4 again. We will not hide them from the descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. You may have a seat. The psalmist reminds us that we have a ge- generation that is surfacing, we have generations that are coming. And so, the word of encouragement there, as an essential part of rearing children, even after you've raised your children at home, the essential core is never stop telling them about the miracles and wonders of our God. We can do that even into our 90s, even until we breathe our last breath. And one of the core ingredients in pouring into a child's life is help them to connect God to life and show them how you prayed and God intervened and God came through. Yet this value, which seems like the underlying value of should be of every Christian home is getting pushed out. It's getting squeezed out because we have children that God has given these gifts and talents to. And if we're not careful, we begin feeding those. We begin pouring more time into them becoming the best at something because God has given them a skill and gift. And we squeeze out God time. We squeeze out the stories of the old. We squeeze out all that God has done. And as parents, if we begin to squeeze that out, what we're Doing is we're losing the wonder of God in the home. And the second you lose the wonder of God, you remove the foundation of a home that will last a lifetime. And we can easily push this out by trying to develop the skills and talents that are the best that God has given your kids. The greatest gift that you could ever give your child is Jesus Christ, it is the greatest gift that any parent can give their kids no matter what else you give them, if you've given them Jesus, if you've introduced them to Jesus, and they don't become the best volleyball player or the best band member or the best vocalist or the best musician or the best welder or best teacher, but they fall in love with Jesus Christ, you have given them the greatest gift that any parent could give their kids. Would you agree with that? That's the greatest gift that any parent can give. Yet while we agree with that, We watch these kids grow up and we see these talents and we want to nurture them and we should, but not at the expense of them forgetting about the wonder and the glory of our God. And so what do we do? We begin buying them things, making sure they have the newest thing. And in reality, we spend more time making sure they're set up to win in their gifts and talents and abilities than we are setting them up to win with Jesus Christ. point is this is, if we spend as much time instructing them in the ways of the Lord as we do with band and basketball and track, our children would have a fighting chance in this world. Psalm 7811 gives us even more of a reminder of this. Turn over as the psalmist continues that... They're losing the wonder of God and it's being squeezed out by, by forgetting to tell the stories. And he says in Psalm seventy eight eleven, he says, they forgot what God had done, the wonders he had shown them. He did miracles in the sight of their ancestors, in the land of Egypt, in the region of Zone. He divided the Red Sea and led them through. He made the waters stand up like a wall. He guided them with a cloud by day and with the light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them water as abundant as seas. And he goes on to tell, these are all the things that God did. Yet somewhere along the path, the parents stopped telling the stories of The God that did these miraculous things. And here's the problem. If we as parents lose the wonder of God, your children will wander from him. If you lose the wonder of God, your children will wander from him. And it happens real subtly. Like, I want them to be the best football player. I want them to be the best this and the best that. And we buy and we purchase and we chase them all over creation. Do we put as much effort into helping them to become Jesus lovers? When you do that, you are living out what God's call is for you as a parent to help your children to know who God is. It would be a sad day for me personally and for every parent in this room who loves Jesus to see our children lose the wonder of God. If they get too busy keeping up with the peer pressure of belonging and owning and accomplishing and Jesus no longer becomes a priority, then we have failed miserably. Ask any parent in this room, any parent that has grown children, If you ask any parent in this room, in some way or form or fashion, this answer will surface. What do you want most for your adult kids? What do you want most for your kids? In some form or fashion, they will say, I want my children to always run after Jesus. And so we have a chance as parents to pour into them, invest in their lives, and help them become Christ followers and Jesus lovers. There's a warning in scripture too that's very clear. Turn back to the book of Judges and look at Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2 is a great reminder of what could happen if we don't continue to surface the wonder of God. Judges chapter 2, look at verse 10. It says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Look at that again in verse 10. After that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And this psalmist is saying the same thing. He's, He's saying, if we don't recall, if we don't tell the stories, if we don't prioritize God and Jesus with our children, then the next generation will grow up and will be completely lost and away from God. Let me ask you a personal question, parents. Even grown parents who have grown kids, what do your children see you weep over? Like, when they think when they see you getting upset and disturbed and righteously angry, like what are the things that cause you to lose sleep? Like, what caused you to lose sleep last night? What was a lost person? Was it it someone going to hell? Was it something you see in our world? Was it your desire to rescue orphans? What is it that that they see you like, wow, dad was up late and he was working, and dad was upset and dad was disturbed and mom was righteously angry and, and mom was crying. What are the things that wreck your world? Is it stuff about Jesus or is it all the other stuff? You see... What we weep over is what tears our heart up. Let me, what are some of the ways? Like if we were to look at social media, let's, let's, just, let's go from yesterday to today. If we look at the last five posts that you have on social media, what would it say about what upsets you? What would it say about what disturbs you? What would it say about what kept you up last night or the night before or the night before that? What, what, what will we learn about you if we looked at the last five posts on social media? What would it say? What are your values? What would your children say? Yeah, that's mom. Yeah, that's, that's dad. There's nothing more important than to renew, keep, work hard at restoring the wonder of God. Every once in a while, Ann and I get it right. And and there's moments along the way that you think, boy, praise God, praise God, praise God, that that's what they got. Saturday morning, I was coming home from a a midnight meeting with a lot of men. Um, And it was a very, very meaningful time. Just roughly 300 plus men were gathered and we had communion and threefold communion together, and we shared the deepest, darkest challenges, and we prayed for each other. It was, it was literally just holy ground. On the way home, I, my phone was bleeping after cleaning up, and it was a text, and I looked at a timestamp. It was 321 a.m. Saturday morning from my 22-year-old son. It said this, great night, Dad. Thanks for your passion and leadership for men. I love you. You know, I don't always get it right. But I could have went to heaven on that one. You know, those are the kind of moments as a parent that should be the most significant things in our lives. Not they own this or they achieve this. It's it's the things where you see your kids getting it. So, You and I have a responsibility. We as parents have responsibility. Keep the wonder of God. How have you done this week? Like, would your kids say, my mom, my dad kept the wonder of God hot. Like, could I go to your kids and tell me, what was it that you learned this week from your parents about the wonder and miraculous work of God? Or what would they say? What would they have learned from you this week? Secondly, I would encourage you to do this. Establish quality family time. Now here is the opposite. Of keeping up with the Joneses. This is the opposite of trying to, to make your kids succeed. This, this is just you working in their life. Not buying, buying, buying. Or working more, more, more. So that they get, get, get. It's spending quality time for them. There is no replacement for, for a parent. A father with his daughter or sons. A mom with her daughter and sons. than just you one-on-one, two-on-one, three-on-one. Working alongside all of them. And pouring into life and having real face time. Not electronic face time spending Time with them, loving on them, touching them, doing the one another. It's the New Testament is loaded with one another's. I mean, just look at the list. Pray with one another, sharpen one another, spur one another, love one another, encourage one another, build up one another, teach one another, forgive one another. The list, share with one another. There are these all one another's. And the only way the one another's take place, if there's one another's, not none another's, you must spend time with your kids to correct and to instruct and to love and to care You can't do it by just purchasing, buying things. And the Bible is full of that. We will never be able to do the one another's if we're separated from them. Paul tried to even encourage this in 1 Thessalonians as he was looking at this church. And he was saying, we cared for you like a mom nurtures her own. We loved you so much, we held you close. In this picture of moms nurturing and caring for their kids, there's nothing that replaces a tender touch of a mom or the loving care and leadership of a dad. Yet you see it all through our world. I need this, I need that. Maybe God is calling you to give something up, a pursuit of something, so that you invest in your child so they become Jesus lovers. Nothing replaces your input and time in their lives. I really wonder if we've lost the simple art of just living simply. Appreciating the simple things and just taking God and connecting life to that moment. We might be raising a generation that Judges 2 talked about. Of kids who push buttons but don't know how to carry a conversation. Who are hiding behind devices and losing their God-given sense of creativity. And can't function in public places and don't even know who God is. Maybe we just need to pull away and say, God, how can I? You know, just, Maybe we just need to get some sticks in our yard and some quality time and say, let's build a house. Maybe we need to get some mud and make some mud pies with our daughters. Maybe we need to paint a picture and get out, instead of paint by number, just paint. Maybe we just pull away from the rat race and put down our devices and just say, hey, I want to spend time with you. I've never met a kid that doesn't enjoy that. I've never met a kid that doesn't like a parent just creating and, and doing life and hanging out and this past week my nephew and, and, and his wife and he's a seminary student at Grace College and or Grace Seminary, they came up to visit and they had two kids, Ileana and, 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 and Noah. And, and so we were out setting by the fire in our backyard and, and we were throwing a football and kicking a soccer ball and we were just doing life. And, and so Ileana is grabbing this mud and she's picking it up and she's making mud pie. And she says, Uncle Jim, come me Uncle Jim, take a bite of my mud pie. So I'm just, and, and, and I said, It needs cooked, it needs cooked. And so she would throw it in the fire. And and so she brought me like 14 or 15 mud pies. But there's something about the simplicity of that that was so incredibly good. It was a reminder that children value one-on-one time. But are you trying to buy your kids love? Are you trying to buy their future? Are you trying to, to make up by getting them something? Maybe just sit and make some mud pies with your girls thirdly i would say this we as parents need to understand their personalities look at psalm chapter 139 psalm chapter 139 quality time and we need to keep the renew the wonder of god and we need to understand the differences and the uniqueness of personalities look at psalm chapter 139 The psalmist here reminds us one of the most powerful verses in Scripture, yet we don't often apply it to our own kids. Psalm 139 and verse 14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Every child is created in its unique way. I have three kids. You have children. And some of you have grown children who have children. And and I'm uniquely created, and you would agree with that. We're all uniquely created. Created by God. And and I look at my at our own kids, as Ann and I look at our own children, they're all different, they all have similarities, but even from a personality perspective, they're uniquely created by God. And God says, You are fearfully and they are wonderfully made. Instead of trying to make Isaiah like Josh or Hannah like Isaiah, or, or make Josh like Hannah, God says they are uniquely created, celebrated, Flourish, help them flourish, pour into it, feed the differences, and allow them to be the person that God created them to be. And it begins with understanding them. One of the best things we can do as parents is begin to understand, take in knowledge and grow in knowledge of how children are wired. And so I want to do that for a few moments here. There's different personalities that your kids have. There's different personalities that parents have. One isn't better than the other. Feel free to be you. And to do otherwise, to try to make one child like another child and change his personality and his his makeup, is to destroy the person that God created them to be. There are three kinds of personality types. There are extroverts, there are introverts, and there are ambiverts. And there are many, many different kinds in this room today. An extrovert is a social being always on the look for out for excitement. Their concentration span tends to be shorter. Now think about that for a second. The concentration span of an extrovert is shorter. So if you put an extrovert kid or an extrovert person in a room where they're, they're, they're sitting there for a long time, sooner or later they're going to say, squirrel, and it's Okay. Don't try to force that extrovert person to, to become more concentrated for long periods of time. Understand, now you could put another type of personality in that room and they could stay there for long periods of time. But an extroverted person is different than an introvert. And it, it, the ambivert takes both personality types on. They are predominantly occupied with activities outside the cell. And they crave human interaction. And you can see it in your kids. Extroverts are essentially talkative, sociable, and enthusiastic in dealing with people in general. They love to take initiative and plunge into action. They can make friends easily and often adapt to new environments without any problem. So if you have an extrovert, help feed that. Don't help squash that, but feed that. Help them to be the best extrovert that God intended them to be. Extroverts are open, and they do not hesitate to share their thoughts with others. It's easier to get to know an extrovert, as they do not hesitate to lay bare their feelings or thoughts. An extrovert child can walk up to a stranger and talk, They need stimulation. They need to be environments where there's all kinds of stimulation. They can multitask. They can do a variety of things and take in different kinds of information. And they fail miserably if their environments where repetitive tasks are asked of them. You put an extrovert on an assembly line, he will go nuts. There's nothing wrong with that. But knowing that means as a father and a mother that I can't require this repetitive task and to, to expect them to function 100% all the time. We must know our kids. And I look at our kids, we have three different personality groups. I would say my son Josh is an introvert. My daughter Hannah is probably more of an ambivert. And my son Isaiah is, is an extrovert. I have introvert, ambivert, Extrovert and I together, I, I moved more towards the extrovert side, not a flaming extrovert. I refuel by being out by myself, though. I refuel being alone. I refuel probably because I'm with large groups of people. I could sit in the woods for hours and I would just be oh, thank you, Jesus. It's how I'm wired. It doesn't make it better. It doesn't make it worse. It doesn't make Josh, Hannah, and Isaiah better. It's just how God has fearfully and wonderfully made them. And our responsibility as parents, Anne and I, is to feed that instead of trying to make one like the other. An introvert, in contrast may have strong social skills and enjoy parties and business meetings. But after a while, they wish they were home by themselves. And if they were females, they wish they were home in their pajamas reading a book. There's nothing wrong with that. So if your extroverted child comes home and wants to talk, 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 talk. If your introvert child comes home and they don't want to talk, don't force them to do something that they aren't. Naturally and fearfully made to do. An introvert prefers to devote their social energies to close friends, colleagues, and family. You'll see them. They have a small but deep relationship built with a core group of people. They listen more than they talk, they think before they speak. And as often as they feel a need to express themselves, they express themselves better in journaling and writing letters over conversing person to person. They tend to dislike conflict. You watch an extrovert and an introvert in a conflict situation. The introvert quickly tries to step in and put an end to it. The extrovert is, oh, this is going to be good. There's not anything wrong with one or wrong with the other. But you want to feed it. You want to help them flourish and become the person that God has fearfully and wonderfully made them to be. Many introverts have a horror of small talk. They don't like small talk. Like There are times they don't even want to talk. You ask them a question, it seems small talk to them. Why are you asking me this right now? but they enjoy deep conversations when they're ready for them. They are most alive in quieter environments. You put them in a quiet environment, one-on-one, they are most alive in those environments. They refuel with a good book in the wilderness alone. And just because their input isn't as much as you would like, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them. And if it appears like they're not having a great time because they're not giving input in a group, you could be falsely wrong. They might be having the time of their lives. You see, they're different than an extrovert. An ambivert is one who is the most apt to be a successful person. He or she is the one with the executive capacity beginning from childhood. He is well-balanced. She is well-balanced physically and emotionally and has the type of personality that makes him or her a wonderful person to be around. Even more than this, he or she has the capacity to utilize the extrovert and the introvert to get the most out of people. And under their direction, both the introvert and extrovert Capacities achieve success in their fields. And for this reason, an ambivert may utilize the power drive of the extrovert and the exploit genius of the introvert to gain his own personal goals as a leader. Truth of the matter is this. Only 25 to 33% of people in our world are introverts. Our world is an extrovert world. And because of that, society has even changed where extroverts are given jobs and are leading the way. And if you're an introvert, you find yourself, even as a child of a parent, feeling pressure to be more like an extrovert. And as parents, we got to say, no, let them be an introvert. Why is all this important, by the way? Because your children are uniquely different from one another. Don't force your introverted child to be an extrovert. And don't think there's something wrong with them. I've even watched this with our own kids. Ann and I have watched this with our own children. We've watched Josh go through school and Hannah go through school. Done a phenomenal job. So Josh went through first. Hannah came through and then Isaiah came along. And we've had people say something like this. Like they say, wow, Isaiah, he's a lot different than Josh. And we say, yeah, He is. Praise God for that. He's uniquely created that way. We don't put pressure on Isaiah to be like Josh, nor do we ask Josh to be like Isaiah. But the world we live in thinks, well, you need to be like this or you need to be like that. Listen to me, as parents, don't do that. There is a zero correlation between being the best talker and having the best ideas. Zero correlation. Yeah, sometimes when an extrovert speaks in a meeting, we think, wow, they got good ideas and the introvert needs to process. Have you ever been in a meeting? I've been in meetings. I have introverts and extroverts on my staff. I mean, I have family that way and I I watch people all the time and I'm checking personalities. I think it's good to have a balance. There are times in meetings where the extroverts speak, ideas come out because we process outwardly and then I've received maybe a text or note like after a meeting, you have too from an introvert and and, and it's like, wow, that's just golden. And you think, why in the world didn't you say an hour ago? And I have to remind myself. It's because they're inward processors. Praise God for that. Ask your introverted child if you want to have a conversation. Your introverted child's coming home from school. This is great information. This is a great help. And you want to have a conversation with them. Like, how should I have a conversation? I want to find out how their day went. An introverted child needs clear, specific questions. You can't have general questions for them. If you want to see them flourish, then they need... An introverted child needs clear, specific questions... ...asked to them when they come home from school. Instead of asking, how was your day? Try, what did you do in math class today? Specific. They can respond specifically. Instead of, do you like your teacher... Ask, what do you like about your teacher? Or, what do you not like so much? Let him or her take time to answer it also. It takes them a while to process it. And don't think that because they don't process it right away, that they're not processing. Try to avoid asking. In the overtly bright voice of parents everywhere, you know how we do this. Did you have fun in school today? And when you're saying that, what are you trying to get from them? You did have fun in school today. She'll sense, or he'll sense, an introverted child, that you need to answer yes. And meanwhile, it might not be yes. Remember, too, that introverts react not only to new people, but also to new places and events. Change for them isn't as easily, quickly adjusted, and adapted as an extrovert. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't mistake a child's caution in new situations for an inability to relate to others. And by the way, they have just as much faith. It's just that they're processing this new environment. Often they're recoiling because they can't handle overstimulation. An introvert can't handle as much stimulation as an extrovert. Extrovert needs all kinds of information like four or five things coming in at once, like colors, you know, buttons, gadgets, like blah blah blah. An introvert, they if they have too much stimulation, it shuts them down. And if they get too much human contact all in one setting, they need to pull away and refuel. I even recently watched with my son, who was um, was with some friends. In in his words, I love that He he is who he is. He's great. Who he is. He loves Jesus. It's it's amazing when we. But he was recently with some friends and and he was away with them and on the weekend and he said, "Man," he said, "Dad, I had to put my extrovert face on and spend time with him. And he, and he says, "I just need to recover now. <laughs> just nothing wrong with that. There's beauty in understanding your kids." There's also some judgment that can be placed on people based upon your personality. You as an introvert might look at an extrovert and place judgment on them. You as an ambivert might do the same to an introvert. And you as an introvert might look at an extrovert and say, oh man, this is what I believe to be true. And so you got to be careful with your kids. you got to be careful. Even when it comes to worship in the local church, it's vital that we understand that a person may not be incredibly boisterous or loud in worship. It doesn't mean that they're not worshiping Jesus Christ in the best way possible. It doesn't mean that they aren't a person of prayer. If they don't step forward and pray when you ask for someone to pray. Just because a person may not step forward doesn't mean they don't have, haven't have a deeply processed the information. They are processing it. If we call people to do something and expect them to do it in a way we want them to do it, then we in reality, even our kids, make calling them not to be true to who God created them to be. An introvert can watch an extrovert do or say something and think they're being showy when in reality they're being as genuine as can be. Introverts can place judgment on an extrovert and look at their life and say, wow, he's really showy or he's arrogant when in reality, no, he's just being him. He's just being her. It's like, this is how I'm created to be. I'm gonna be me. It's amazing as you begin to process all this information. It's important for all of us to realize the differences in people and in kids. An extrovert can 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 watch an introvert not raise his hands in worship or not share their deepest struggles in a large gathering, and they think that they're really missing out in worship, or not as committed to God as someone else who may be doing those things, when in reality this person is a very passionate follower of Jesus Christ, and they are deeply in love with God. You see, the minute we cast judgment by outward appearance, what we've done is we're saying, I want you to be like me. And God's saying, hey, I've created you to be like you. It's important for all of us to realize, no matter what our personality type, though, we need to remember these things. I'm not to judge of another's person's motives or intents or their heart. And just because someone doesn't do it like me doesn't mean they are more right than me or I am more right than them. We need to compliment each other. Caring about your calls is a powerful term in a form of leadership. Introverts care deeply. It's just different than what an extrovert would do. They go, with, they, they go deep with their passions and have a strong will and a passion to move forward. If you're an introvert, show the courage. Listen to me. If you're an introvert, show the courage to speak softly. That's how God made you. Don't be ashamed of who you are and realize that God has gifted you and empowered you to go into deep, deep, deep relationships with others. You have something powerful to offer this extroverted world, especially in education. When I went through education, I watched the shift take place. When I was in grade school, all the desks were lined up in rows. So when I went to school, there were five rows, ten rows, whatever it was, with a certain amount of chairs, of desks. All the desks were lined up like this. And for an introvert, that's how they function and learn better. Because it allows them to be individual, it allows them to seat, sit in their place. They can look straight ahead. They can have one to one contact, and they function better in that environment. But you know what happened in my ninth and tenth grade year in high school? They began to change the whole pattern of education. They started talking about pods and and putting people together in groups and tables, and we started doing group projects. and And, and I didn't know what was happening. I'm an extrovert, so for me, it's like great group projects. Wow, this is awesome. And And and, and if you go to school systems now, the majority of school systems are moving that way. Now they got chairs that face each other. You have like six chairs going this way, six chairs that go this way. Everyone can see everyone. And you put an introvert in that environment, it's like, oh. And why is that? It's because we're led by 70 plus percent of introverts in our world and even in the field of education. But listen, as parents, we can educate our kids and let them be who they are wired to be. You put an introvert in a group project all the time, it will be the end of him or her. Give him a chance to do an individual project. We must be careful, regardless of what personality we have, not to judge others. And I'll say this again introverts can quickly see an extrovert who loves the stage and speak elegantly and call him showy or arrogant. Or even self centered when he is just being the real him that God created him to be. An introvert can even form animosity towards an extrovert because of the influence they garner and in turn look for ways to squash it instead of feeding it. Another form essential that we need to be familiar with is birth order. To me, this stuff is fascinating. When I look at our children and see how they are very different, I'm brought back to the realities of birth order. When I watch adults work together, it's interesting to watch adults work together and like, oh man, there's a firstborn, there's an only child, there's a lastborn, there's a middle child. And I look at some of these fascinating truths. Firstborns tend to be achievers and often perfectionists in at least some facet of their lives. They tend to be fearful of new situations, cautious yet reliable, very loyal. Firstborns are very loyal. They have levels of expectations on themselves, and it stays with them through their teenage years. So when you tell a firstborn as a parent because you think you want to help them get better without their perfectionism, and so you go to them and you say to your children, it's okay if you get a B. To them, it's like, no, it isn't. I need to get A's. Firstborns are perfectionists at what they do. Listen, that's how God wired them. Let's let's feed that. Let's help that. But being the oldest child can have a great advantage because parents read them every book under the sun. It's true. I mean, just be be really honest. Your firstborns, like man, you read them books and you got to stack this deep. That second child comes along, it's about this high. Look at your old photos. Like, look at photo albums. First child, man, you have, like, everything. Like, everything. Now, let me ask you, do you take pictures of your kids every month when they're firstborns? Like, oh, here's this month, this month. Did you do that with every single child, second and third and fourth child? Look at the photo albums. There's 550,000 pictures of your firstborn and 53 of the secondborn. Because by the time that second child comes around, you think you've figured some things out. And you refuse to realize that their placement in this family situation deems you responsible to look at their personality and what's best for them. You know what often happens too? I've said this on on other occasions, but firstborns, they're usually the one who takes out the trash. And you know what? They do it until they're 59 years old too. Like, well, you took it out, you've always taken it out. And they take trash out, take trash out, take trash out, take trash out, take trash out. There's also an issue that firstborns have to deal with. It's called the dethronement reality. And here's what I mean by dethronement. He or she has been the only child in the family for a while. And then mom and dad get pregnant. And so, number one, firstborn doesn't like it. They've sat on the throne. They've had all the pictures, all the books read to them. They've been the center of attention. And, and I just recently talked to someone who, who was giving birth to, to a child. And I asked him, how does your firstborn, how does your child, how they responded? And, and this person said, they don't like it at all. They don't want a, they don't want a sibling. Why? Because they're, they feel like they're being dethroned. Now, you've got to parent that well. You don't leave them in the room by themselves or they'll shake them the first couple weeks they're there. But all that to be said, you must and we must as a parent deal with the realities of them feeling like they're being dethroned. And by the way, it doesn't mean that that firstborn going to be an axe murderer either. It's just they're feeling dethroned. Often the firstborn will wet his pants and wet the bed trying to get attention because another sibling has come along. The middle born child, you can expect much more comfortable relationship with mom and dad. In fact, middleborns tend to be much more sociable all around. Whereas firstborns tend to be loners, middle children are going to have many friends, middle tend to thrive in groups and are social animals. That means watch out for peer pressure for the middleborn the second born will look for ways to gain the attention of a different in a different way than the older child and it's very difficult for the middle child to gain the attention that the first born received from mom and dad and he often feels like he's the anonymous child like how come how come she's getting all the attention how come he's getting all the attention And he begins to look at photo albums too, and he asks questions How come you didn't take video of me when I got my first tooth pulled out? How come you don't have hair locks about me? How come, how come, how come? But there's advantages too, being a middleborn. You can learn from the mistakes of your older sibling. In fact, middle children are shown to be peacemakers and go betweens, they tend to be much more competitive than the firstborn. The last born, if you're throwing a party and you want it to be wild and crazy, then invite the last born. But if you want a serious discussion about economics, don't invite them. They are great gatherers of people. They are party animals, and they just like having a good time. By the way, nothing wrong with that. They have a tendency to be irresponsible because... They, they've had their older siblings take care of them. And they expect the older siblings continue to take care of them. In fact, the older siblings will often say this to their parents. And maybe you've said this to your younger. How come they get away with this and get away with murder? I never did. How many of you have ever said that about your younger sibling? But they have ability to gather people like The middle and the first doesn't. They often are your best evangelists. They often run to mom and dad, though, and tell all the bad things that the older brother and sister did. (laughs) And they can be instigators. Only children, if there's a position that's worse than the firstborn and not that there is, they have no siblings to relate to in the world. It's really an adult world to them. And so, by the way, as parents, make sure you realize that. Make sure they have other children in their lives and you don't always do things with them where it's only you and them. I've watched some people do this really well. They often get the message, unless they act like adults, they have fallen short of expectations and therefore are inadequate. Overall, they tend to be very reliable and conscientious. And, by the way, they tend to marry people who are quite older than them, because they relate to older people. There's differences. We need to know them. We need not to squash them and make one of our kids into another kid, We need to help them flourish. And by the way, let me put this little paraphrase and sidebar. Just because of your personality doesn't give you permission not to live to your redemptive potential and doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit can't override your personality when he wants to. Your role will change too. I want to speak to parents of parents of children that are adults. Look at Psalm chapter 71 quickly. Psalm chapter 71. Your role will change as a parent, but you will always be a mom. You will always be a dad. You will always have that tag if you've had children. And in Psalm chapter 71 in verse 18, the psalmist gives us great instruction. Psalm 71 in verse 18. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God. Till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God. Till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who come. Continue to live your faith in such a way, even when your children are adults. I still am learning from my mother and my father. I still am learning from them what it means I watched my stepfather love my mom and I still am learning what it means to love your wife. I am still learning from my mom what it means to battle till the end. I'm still getting faith deposits from my parents. That role never changes. It just doesn't. You will always be mom and dad. So what should our responsibilities be? Always be an advisor, clause, paraphrase, but only give advice when asked by your children. Continue to love your spouse. There's no greater joy than for a child who is an adult watching their grown parents continue to flourish and love each other. It gives you hope that you can continue to love when you're old and gray. Extend yourself some grace. Right now, some of you are saying, boy, I wish I had known that information. Boy, I wish I would have done that. That explains why I had this issue with my firstborn. Listen to me. must remember this. Extend yourself some grace. And remember this. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Start over. Start again. Go from here. You might not be able to repair your mistakes. Forgive, repent, move on, and live out your life in such a way that you are a model of God to your children. Ask for forgiveness if you've done wrong with your kids. Cut the strings when they get married. Listen to me. Listen to me, moms and dads. When they get married, snap. You are no longer... The advice in their lives unless they ask for it. And be very selective too. Never set and become the only person that your daughter talks to about the husband. And don't be the only dad that talks to about, 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 about the wife. Be very selective. Don't find yourself in the middle between them. Be very careful and pray for wisdom in those situations. Amp up your dependence on God through prayer. The greatest gift you can give your adult children and their children is to be an intercessor in prayer for them. Don't place unreasonable expectation on them at the holidays. I'm telling you, I say this over and over again. And I, I just talked to two fiancé couples that I'm going to be marrying here. And, and, and I know when I meet with them, one of the first things I say: you want to know what your first fight is as a married couple. It's the holidays should I go to mom's house at Christmas or should I go to your mom's house at Christmas? Should I go to dad's house at Christmas? Should I go to dad's house at Christmas? So I look at the male, the husband, and I say this, you be the mean guy, okay? You set your own family and holiday traditions. But it might be like this, you're, you're in a couple, you're there, and here's what we do as parents. We see this young couple who's just gotten married and like, but we always put our onesie jammies on on Christmas Eve and you're not coming over again? Oh, man, talk about guilt and manipulation. <laughs> Husbands, that's when you need to stand in and say, no. But we always get together on Christmas morning at 6.30 a.m., and we always open up one gift, and then we have chocolate milk and, and cookies, and, and, and we, sing like four, cr- cr- we sing four Christmas hymns. We always do that around the fireplace. Well, this year we're not going to do it. I don't get out of bed at 6.30 a.m., You laugh, but this is a big issue for couples. Parents, quit putting expectation unreasonably on your children. Let them form their own traditions at Christmas. And it might mean they not show up until 3 o'clock on Christmas Day. Husbands, young husbands, you take the heat for that and just say, I love you, no, no. cherish the memories and keep them alive. Listen, there's no greater joy for me than to sit with my parents and and, and to watch them at the table. Like they pull my, my, my kids in. I love watching my mom just tell my kids stories. Let me tell you this one. And they say, grandma, give me another story. Pap, give me another story. And they'll tell stories about how God came through and how God intervened. Listen, the greatest gift that you can give your grown kids and their grandkids is continue to tell them about the wonders of God. Be their greatest cheerleader. Say I'm proud of you often and I love you as much as possible. There's not an adult child in this room that doesn't want to hear from their mom and dad. I love you. I'm 52 years old. And when my mother says, Jimmy, I am so proud of you. When my dad says, Jimmy, I am so proud of you. It gives me 10 more years to my life. And lastly, I would say this. One of the greatest gifts that you can give your children is to plan your funeral and to put a will in place. Don't expect your kids to have to do that for you. God, I pray today that we would take some of these valuable, valuable resources and truths about us as people. I pray, Lord, that we would begin to parent the way you want us. And God, that we would celebrate the unique differences in our children and their children. I pray, Lord, that we would celebrate those and we would feed those. I pray, God, that we wouldn't allow our personality traits, though, to keep us from being on mission for you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take our personalities and even mold them and shape them and allow us to do things that we never thought possible. We have an unfair advantage. And God, I pray for parents in this room. I pray that your power, your wisdom would fall upon them in a great way. And I pray that they would always, 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 always talk about the wonder of God. Thanks, God, for the good news of your word. Thanks for being an incredible dad to us. In Jesus' name, amen.